Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Edric Show. I am your host, Edric Jerome. This is the place for intelligent conversation with interesting people. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Leave me a comment. Drop a line. Let me know how I'm doing as I bring you this content each and every week. My guest today is author, pastor, and former professional wrestler, Dr. Chris Whaley. Dr. Whaley is the author of the novel, The Math Saint, Husband, Pastor, Hero, which was inspired by true events from his life experiences and adapted into a major motion picture. Dr. Whaley, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. And I hope uh, the weather is as beautiful on the uh, other side of the country as it is on this side. It is. We are about to experience a heat wave here in uh, Northern California over the weekend. So it's going to get up to triple digits, but uh, it is what it is. It is summer. So that's it yeah. to be expected. Yeah. Uh, let's get right into it. Uh, tell me about your book, The Mass Saint. Um, what inspired you to write it? And uh, why did you feel it was so important to share your story with the world? Um, when I when I went to my first church, um, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, even in seminary, they do not prepare you to be a pastor. Hmm. Uh, you, I mean, you learn uh, languages, you know, the new Testament was written in Greek and the old Testament was written in Hebrew. So you, you take Greek, you take Hebrew, you take church history, you take, uh, you know, biblical, uh, new Testament books and old Testament books. You take so many things and, and they're all great. But as far as the, the, you know, intricacies of being a pastor, they don't teach you that. Mm. And so I, w I go to my first church and I'm, I'm learning on the job about what a pastor does, but I, I know one of the things that a pastor does is protects his flock. And I, it wasn't very long after going there, um, I had a, a young mom in the church who, would drop her kids off at our children's program. And then she, she was always the last one in the sanctuary on Sunday morning. And then she'd be the first one out of the sanctuary hmm. on, on one particular morning, she came in with sunglasses on. And I thought that was a little unusual. Well, after the service was over, she was the last person to come out. And when she came out, she grabbed my hand with both of her hands and had her head down. And I could see tears running down her cheeks. And I just looked it up to sunglasses and she had two black eyes mm. and I, it just enraged me how, you know, someone could hit the mother of his children. I mean, they had small kids and, <laughs> and it just en enraged me. And I, I said to her, uh, you know, I, I'm going to go see your husband. And she said, Oh, you'll, you'll hurt you. And I said, I'm not really worried about it. And so I went to see him. And and I just called him out. I said, you know, any man that would hit a woman is a dirtbag. And uh, you're also a bully. And bullies only pick on people that they know they can defeat. So I'm here. Uh, let's see how you do against somebody who can fight back. Hmm. And so we we danced around in the front yard a little bit. And uh, he never hit her again. So that was a great thing. But then I started, I just had episode after episode where I was handling things more as a professional wrestler than I was as a pastor. And uh, I, I was talking to my wife. I said, you know, this would, this would make a great book. And she said, write it. But I, I didn't think I was a writer. Uh, I tried for a couple of years to get someone else to write the book. And that didn't work out. They didn't have as many ghostwriters in those days. 
so one Saturday I sat down and I just started writing, uh, showed it to my wife and she said, keep going. And, <laughs> you know, the reason it was so easy to write is because each chapter was something that happened to me in my life. And so uh, put it together and lo and behold, you know, got it, got it published. And it was just, just an amazing process and uh, have, you know, just completed my third book not too long ago, and and uh, it's going to be coming out in uh, uh, Thanksgiving week. So <laughs> that's the way it happened. Yeah, it's such an interesting story, uh, yeah. and your life yeah. has been such an interesting life. Uh, not too yeah. many people, you know, can experience what you've experienced. Uh, but one of the topics in your book, and and you mentioned it here, is uh, the the prospect of being a, a quote unquote vigilante yes. uh, and uh, vigilantism. Um, you know, some people feel that uh, there is a place for this in society and it's needed and it's necessary. Uh, others feel that that's the purview of law enforcement and, you know, maybe it's not such a good thing. Um, right. But in your experience, what's your view of of vigilantism uh, now, especially uh, or has your views changed over the years or, you know, what's your what's your take on the whole topic? Yeah. Well, uh, the star of my book is uh, a little African-American lady by the name of Miss Edna. And in the movie, they bring her up to real life, and she's played by the beautiful actress uh, Diane Carroll. But uh, in in all truth, she was from my childhood. Now, hmm. I can't tell you how unusual that was for a kid in the 60s, in the 60s with a black mentor. Uh, but she is the one that's the story of the book because each each book i mean each chapter has a lesson mm -hmm. and the lessons are lessons that i learned from her hmm. and uh she she used to quote uh edmund burke the philosopher um the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing hmm. and i grew up with that and i you know, I can't tell you how many times I've thought of things that I learned from her when I was growing up. And that was the big thing is that you got to protect people who can't protect themselves. Now, it's a different day and age, uh, a big difference. You know, when I was doing this, it was uh, in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, today, man, you know, somebody will shoot you. Right. Because, <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, right. In, in those days, you know, not not a lot of people carried guns. Hmm. And so it was, you know, it was brute force. This day and age, people carry guns. And so, um, you know, I have asked I've been interviewed hundreds of times and I've been asked that question, you know, uh, would you still do it today? And my answer is, is this. Yes. If I see someone who is being abused, I cannot sit back and ignore that. And uh, it's a lot of years afterwards. Um, you know, I, I remember that it hadn't been that long ago uh, when I um, I walked out of my office uh, in, to get in my car to go do a hospital visit. And I, I heard uh, somebody drop the F-bomb in the parking lot. That'll get your attention in a church parking lot. <laughs> and I looked over and this guy uh, was slapping this pregnant girl. And it, I could not believe I screamed across. I said, hey. And, and he turned around and he screamed at me. And he had about, you know, 20 expletives that he 
uh, used when he referred to me. And it just, I mean, just clicked. I, uh, I started walking towards him. I took my glasses off. I took my coat off. I took my tie off. And I was just dropping them on the floor. And uh, we had a, a school that met on our campus. And my daughter taught in that school. And she walked out and she saw what was happening. And she told me this later. But she got right in front of me. and She was pushing me in the chest saying, no, dad, no, dad, no, dad. Mm. I don't even remember. I don't even remember her doing that. But I just remember, you know, I went up to the young man. I said, I said, hey, you're in a church parking lot. You shouldn't use that kind of language. And you certainly shouldn't be hitting this pregnant young lady. <laughs> and then he he came towards me. And it was just kind of a response. You know, when he came towards me, I had to do something. You know, if you say something, I, I have the option of walking away. But when you come at me and you're going to physically do something, I have to respond. Sure. So I know that was a, a long answer to a short <laughs> question. And I, but that, uh, I, I had to get all that in there. No, context is everything, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sure is. Um, uh, ultimately, your book was developed uh, into a successful motion picture, and it was successful based on the amount, you know, for the film to produce and also the revenue. So it was a successful film. Um, how did that project go from uh, you sitting down on a Saturday afternoon and writing out these episodes <laughs> Yeah. Uh, to becoming a, a major motion picture. And like you said, with the legendary and groundbreaking actress, Diane Carroll, in one of the lead yeah. roles. Yeah. You know, it was truly, um, truly amazing. You know, the book came out, and not long after the book came out, I got a call from a producer that lives in Orlando. And he he was the producer of the very first three Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies that were all blockbusters. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're, you know, I don't know. I, I don't remember when they came out. I think they came out in the in like in the 90s. Yeah, I think it was the 90s. But, but they were all blockbusters. And then he also produced uh, that uh, golfing movie with Jim Caviezel called uh, Stroke of Genius, uh, the Bobby Jones story. Mm. And then he produced a his first faith-based movie, and it was entitled Letters to God. And so he contacted me and asked me to uh, come to his office in downtown Orlando, and I did that. Now, I got to tell you, first, I, I was hoping for a TV series. Hmm. Um, one, of, one of my favorite guys was uh, Michael Landon, who produced Little House on the Prairie, and he produced uh, Highway to Heaven. And the reason I liked him so much is they were good moral programs that you would not be embarrassed for your children to watch. Sure. You know, and uh, and another thing is he didn't make the pastor a bad guy, you know, like most sitcoms do today. The average sitcom today, it makes the dad a bumbling fool. The mom is promiscuous. And the children are rebellious. And that's what we're putting on TV for our children and grandchildren to see. And, you know, Michael Landing, he put on great uh, moral programs. And so I was hoping, you know, each chapter could have been an episode. Sure. sure. So that's what I was hoping for. And I sit down with him and and uh, and he immediately is like, no, they want to make a movie. And which I was I was blown away with that. Uh, I was working with him for about a year they even had a script written and uh during that year 
I continued to meet people in the movie business. Uh, but then uh, the guy who originally talked to me, he said, no, I'm not going to do it. And then somebody else talked to me and no, I'm not going to do it. And I had a I had a producer from Canada uh, flew down here and met me at Disney World. And he he was very interested. And then I didn't hear from him. And, and to be honest with you, I was getting so, you know, kind of annoyed by the whole process that I was ready to put it up on a shelf. And my grandkids could get it off one day and say, hey, look what Papa wrote. But, mm. uh, but anyway, it was just like it was over, and I was so thankful. And so I'm driving to the gym uh, in February of 2013. I'm driving to the gym, and my phone rang, and I answered it, and it, it was this producer in Canada. And he said, anybody done anything with your book? I said, no, and I kind of rolled my eyes. And he said, okay, I'll get back to you. And I said, okay, click. And and I didn't think a thing about it. Two weeks later, he called me. I I was on my way to the gym again, and he called me, and he said, uh, are you sitting down? And I said, matter of fact, I am. I'm driving. He said, well, let me get you to pull over. So I pulled over on the side of the road, and he said, we're going to make your book into a movie. And I was I was just dumbfounded, and he told me, you know, we're already working on a script. We're going to start producing and doing all that. And so they, uh, they filmed it in uh, November of 2013, and it was just you know, an amazing thing to be on the set and watch the whole thing uh, take place uh, truly was amazing. And again, you you got to work or see Diane Carroll, who is such an iconic oh. uh, actress, uh, trailblazer, yep. uh, you name it. Uh, she's just Academy a giant. Award. Exactly. Yeah, Academy, Academy Award nominated. Yes. Uh, beautiful singer, uh, unbelievable talent. And uh, it was, you know, when I first met her, I've got some great pictures. Uh, if, afterwards, if you want me to send you sure. some of the pictures where sure. uh, I met her, I'll, I'll do that. But um, she was so sweet and, you know, she gave me a hug every time we saw her. And, and I was so thankful. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, she has passed. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, also got to work with uh, Roddy Rowdy Piper. Yes. And, legend, uh, legend. Yeah, you know, I had I had worked against him like 25 years before that. I hadn't <laughs> seen him, and and so I knew I, I didn't think he'd remember me. He said he did, but he really didn't. <laughs> but uh, but he was a great talent too. You know, he's a great wrestler, but he's also a great actor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Several action movies that uh, he was a part of over the years. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that's a good transition. Let's shift now to, uh, and as I told you before we came on, I'm going to try to contain my enthusiasm because growing up, I was a <laughs> massive, massive, massive wrestling fan uh, here in the Bay Area. We used to go to the Richmond Auditorium. Uh, we got, um, you know, uh, big time wrestling here in San Francisco, uh, uh, on Channel 44. So if those of you out there, you remember Hank Renner and and all the greats, Rocky Johnson, uh, Pepper Gomez, all those folks. So let me ask you now about how you um, got into becoming a professional wrestler what was that path like uh and why did you choose the name the saint uh i got into wrestling in 1978 and uh it was a miracle that i did that because growing up as a kid i was sick i was in and out of the hospital in and out of the hospital uh mostly with pneumonia in the fourth grade i had polio hmm. uh viral encephalitis had to learn to walk all over again uh, they finally figured out why my immune system wasn't working. I had a great doctor. And um, then things started to change, you know. And this doctor, he's the one that got me going to the gym, which I truly love. And he's the one that got me working with weight. So here it is in, in 
my, my wife and I graduated from college and we're living in my hometown and she's teaching at her alma mater. And I was looking for a church uh, as a youth minister. And then um, I, I'm looking at the newspaper. So all I'm doing is working and working out. That's all mm. I'm doing. So I'm in great shape. And I'm looking at the newspaper and I saw this big ad. It said, wanted professional wrestlers. And I, I got so excited. I jumped up. I took it over to my wife and I showed her and she just kind of rolled her eyes and went back to grading papers. But I, I packed a bag. I drove over to Tampa, walked in, and uh, there was the tremendous villain that I watched while I was growing up, uh, the great Malenko. Mm. Uh, you might remember his son who worked for the WWF, WWE, uh, Dean Malenko, who was, uh, they called him the man of a thousand holes. Mm. Uh, but I actually trained with Dean and his brother, Joe, uh, before, you know, they went on to stardom. Uh, but, uh, that's the way it, that's the way it got started. And I was just hooked the moment that I walked in and, uh, I loved it, you know, got to do it for 10 years and worked against some of the greats and, and, uh, it just it was just an awesome thing and and i still keep up with a lot of my wrestling buddies um they have something over in tampa called the legends luncheon mm. and it's and it's just you know wrestlers and we get together every other month and they induct two new members into the legends uh over there in tampa and so i get to keep up with them and uh i don't watch wrestling today but because it's changed so much but i I still love talking to uh, my old friends. Uh, you are prescient because my next question was about that change. Um, uh, you know, in the past, and you were in Florida, which was a hotbed of right, wrestling, which right, was like, right, right, like you right. know, ground zero in many, many right. cases for that whole right. Southern belt down there. Um, but, you know, in the 80s, you know, professional wrestling uh, transitioned from the regional promotional circuits uh, to the nationalized product we see today. Um from your perspective, having been a wrestler and, and actually been there and probably seen some of that transition happening, you know, what are some of the, maybe the benefits to fans, if there are any, and then maybe what are some of the things that have been lost with that transition? You know, um, Vince McMahon Jr. is what changed professional wrestling. Hmm. Uh, because, as you know, it in my day, we had territories, Florida right. was a territory, uh, you know, uh, California was a territory. Texas was had three territories in it. You know, you had the Funks, uh, Terry Funk, Dory Funk, and West Texas, and the Von Erichs in East Texas, and Husky in South Texas. And so, uh, when Vince took over uh, a territory, which was the WWF, he is a marketing genius. And so, you know, he signs a contract with NBC USA. And now wrestling is uh, national and international instead of regional. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Ted Turner at Turner Broadcasting Super Channel, you know, he had the WCW, which was competing at that time with uh, the WWF. And then Vince took over WCW also. He, he's a marketing genius. He turned a fledgling little territory into a multi-billion dollar business. And, of course, when that happened, all of the territories shut down, mm -hmm. and then all of the big talent drifted to the WWF at that mm -hmm. time. And so he got, you know, all the biggest names. And, of course, uh, Sylvester Stallone was still in the Rocky business, and 
in Rocky three, you know, he's, he's in a hotel room in New York city and he's got his TV on and he sees WWF wrestling and he sees Hulk Hogan and he says, Hey, I gotta have him. <laughs> and so he gets uh, Hulk Hogan uh, to be in his movie, uh, Rocky three. And that was really another thing that catapulted the WWF with Hulk Hogan. And of course, Hulk, Hulk Hogan is still a, you know, a, a, a household name across our nation. And uh, so Vince changed everything. You know, it was amazing at first, you know, giving people, uh, you know, he was great giving them their gimmicks and stuff like with Hogan. Uh, but, uh, you know, the longer he stayed in there, I think the more dark it became. Mm-hmm. And, and then suddenly, you know, when Hogan was on there, he's talking to all the little Hulkamaniacs out there, make sure you say your prayers and take your vitamins and, you know, say your, you know, and, and be good to your mom and dad and all. And that has changed. And now, you know, uh, in the 2000s, you know, he really brought a lot of sexual stuff into it. And it just, it just changed so that I, I just didn't care to watch it anymore. I, I think what, the wrestling fans love was a good guy against a bad guy right. and a good, the good guy winning. Right. And, and it was, you know, good versus evil and good winning. And uh, it's just, it's just changed so much. And I, I just don't enjoy it. Like I used to. Um, from my perspective, uh, just a real quick story. Um, as I said, I grew up in, in Richmond, California, and we used to have wrestling at the Richmond auditorium. And I remember uh, a vivid memory in a sense, one seeing Andre the giant, but two, we used to be able to, as kids, we would go to the back because we knew where the wrestlers would come out and they would hang out yeah. by the curtains. And there was this guy, I had never, we just started to get to know him. Uh, you, I'm sure you know of him, Kevin Sullivan, before he went to the dark side. And he was the nicest guy. He talked to us. Hey, kids, how are you guys? You know, and we talked about the match and he was like, yeah, you know, he was just a really, really good guy. And I think to me, that's kind of what's lost is that immediacy where you could you could go to your local arena see a wrestling match, interact with the wrestlers, whereas now you probably can't get that close to them like you could back then. So maybe it's uh, just nostalgia, but, you know. Yeah, you might you might have those momentary good luck episodes with it, but not like it was in the old days. And, and I still see Kevin Sullivan occasionally, <laughs> and he's still a nice guy. Uh, <laughs> I saw him a couple of years at, uh, it was a big event every year called Cauliflower Alley, uh, which meets in Las Vegas and they always honor wrestlers and they have, it's like a three day event. And uh, uh, I think last year they honored Kevin Sullivan, but uh, the year that I was there and all the people that were being honored of which uh, one of them was uh, Van Dam, and then uh, the other Ray Mysterio mm-hmm. and everybody that, everybody that got up, thanked Kevin Sullivan, everybody mm-hmm. that got up, thanked him because he had such a big influence on their life. So it's amazing that you mentioned his name. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah it's it changed. Uh, I love doing those events uh, where I got to see the fans and got to, you know, take pictures with them and let them ask you questions. And stuff. I absolutely love that. And uh, I still do that because I get, you know, I get invited to speak and uh, I have pictures and books and stuff. And, and so I, I, I take pictures with people and I've got some events lined up in the summer. So I, I really look forward to that. And uh, I wish I wish they had more of that today. I really do. Yeah, uh, I do want to move on real quickly and to get into your your career as a, as a as a pastor. But I do have one more wrestling question, if you'll indulge me. And like I said, I, I told you I'm a 
I'm all you want, man. All you <laughs> all right. want. So, yeah. uh, one, do you still have the mask? And two, uh, talk to me about the power of the masked wrestler. That whole notion of usually they said from parts unknown. You know, it was just it was just this thing when when you go to a wrestling match and yeah, you see the other wrestlers and they all had costumes. This, but when that guy came out with the mask. Yeah. Wow. Everything changed, man. So tell me about right. the mask, how you felt about it, how it came to be. And, and then do you still have the mask? <laughs> uh, I don't have the mask. OK, the original mask. I have a mask because I got back in the ring last year on November the 17th, 2022. I got back in the ring at the age of 68. Hmm. So, it, you know, I saw Ric Flair. Ric Flair got yeah. back in the ring at yeah, age 73. Sure and uh, I and I didn't look near as bad as he looked, uh, <laughs> but I did get back into the ring. You know, with me, I I was wrestling. I wrestled under several. I wrestled as uh, Chris Michaels. I wrestled as Chris Samuels. I wrestled uh, Chris. I think even Chris Whaley a couple of times. But um, I I I was serving in a church. Finally got called, and I was serving in a church. And my wife was pregnant with our first child and they did not pay pastors. They still don't pay pastors a whole lot, hmm. but, but anyway, we really needed something. And so I, I just kind of shared with the pastor, I, the senior pastor, I went to him and he wasn't aware of the wrestling, but then I told him, Hey, listen, I could wrestle a couple of nights a week and it would really help us financially. Hmm. And he said, uh, Oh, absolutely not. You know, we're not going to turn this church into a circus. No, no. And so, you know, I, I wanted to abide by his wishes. So that Saturday, I'm sitting in my living room and pro professional wrestling was on and I'm looking at it. And there's a couple of my buddies that are working and one of them worked with a mask. And then the light bulb went on. And I said, that's it. <laughs> that's it. You know, and so, all right, what gimmick could I come up with? I said, well, I'm a pastor. I'm a good guy. I'm, you know, I'll be the saint. Mm. And so that's how the saint was born. Uh, but uh, it was really different. I mean, to, to, to wrestle in the ring and then to have a mask on and wrestle, it, it took a lot of getting used to, but it was really, uh, you know, mysterious and all of that that you were mentioning. And uh, I, I would feel naked now getting in the ring without a mask. <laughs> Uh, let me ask you now about uh, your career as a pastor. So tell me, when did you get the calling? And, uh, you know, when did you know that that was something that you had been called to do? Now, I, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, my dad had uh, a third grade education. Uh, my mom had very little education. Uh, and uh, my dad was a long distance truck driver and a fifth degree redneck. And uh, so they... You know, there was no Christianity in my household. Matter of fact, my mom grew up a Jehovah's Witness. And so uh, she was the first one that came to know Christ in our family. And it didn't affect me. I mean, she made me go to church and I went. But then when I was 16, I went to church and I met this young lady that captured my heart. Uh, she was brilliant. She's beautiful. And she knew what she was going to do. You know, with me, I just wanted to finish school, get out and get a job. Hmm. I, I never planned to go to college. She, like me, grew up in poverty. And she said, I'm not going to grow up in poverty uh, the rest of my life. She said, I'm going to get a uh, an education and I'm going to get a, a job as a teacher. 
And so I followed her down to a Christian school in South Florida called Palm Beach Atlantic University, which now is a, an amazing university. But I followed her down there. She took me to church and I heard a guy preach. And it was the first time I actually understood the gospel. And so my my life changed my first semester in college, and I became a believer. And then suddenly I had a desire to learn. Uh, you know, I was the first one in my family to graduate from high school, much less graduate from college, much less get a master's and a doctorate. But, uh, you know, I, I, I owe, you know, a lot to that young lady because uh, four years later, she became my wife. Uh, we got married when we were 20, and we have been married 48 years. Congratulations. And, uh, and we have two uh, beautiful daughters, and, and I'm so blessed. So that that's whenever it happened. You know, professional wrestling was my dream, but ministry was always my calling because <laughs> it wasn't long after I became a believer when I felt the call of God on my life that I had to do this. And uh, so I have served him. Uh, since 1988, I graduated from seminary. I wrestled for the last time in 1988, uh, graduated from seminary and went to my first church. Uh, were there, were there any skills or, or, uh, theatricality or anything that you learned from wrestling that helped you as a minister? Were there, were there similar, uh, I mean, you know, you, you're, you have to, you know, communicate and, and you're, you're out in front of a of crowd. So are there some things you learned in your wrestling career that, that maybe translated over to being a pastor? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, it's amazing that you asked that. Um, I have finished a TED Talk, hmm. and the title of my TED Talk uh, is uh, Lessons That I Learned from Professional Wrestling. Wow. So, And I have nine of them. I'll just give you a couple of them. Sure. You know, uh, don't just because you get beat up, don't beat up other people. Hmm. Uh, that's one of the lessons. Uh, the other one is be prepared for injuries. Uh, you're going to get injuries in life, uh, just as I had injuries in wrestling. And you so you need to be prepared for those injuries. Uh, and I've, I've got a bunch more, but when I'm trying to remember them so quick, I haven't memorized my uh, TED Talk yet. So, uh, <laughs> But anyway, I've, I've got those nine lessons that I learned from professional wrestling. So yeah, I still... I still have things that I use from, from those days. Um, uh, lastly, uh, as we give it a wrap up, um, you are a, a writer, of course, talented writer. And, you know, The Mass Saint is not your your only book. You also published a book um, titled Harold's Heavenly Christmas. Yeah. So uh, in addition to those two, you mentioned, I think you're working on another book. What's that book about? Yeah. And uh, tell yeah. me a little bit about the, the one that you're working on now and, and when it's coming out. Okay. Oh, by the way, I got to tell you, you know, when you write a book and they make it into a movie, you get spoiled. Mm. So so I'm saying, what can I write that would also be made into another movie? And my wife and I are hooked on those Hallmark Christmas yes. movies. You know? Yeah, we can't wait. For, matter of fact, it's Christmas in July. And so they're going to be showing them 24-7. Uh, but uh, I had an idea for a Christmas story, and I wrote that. And, of course, it was published into a book and being looked at as a movie of the week. So uh, I really, but then uh, my third book, I have written this with a, an old wrestling buddy and it's called Mr. President. Uh, it parallels two lives, the life of a, a sleazy comedian who ends up running for president every four years. And he gets celebrities to give him an autograph. 
And uh, what that celebrity doesn't know is they're actually signing an agreement to be his vice presidential candidate. Mm. And so the other, that's one life. And the other life is a young African-American uh, boy who grows up in a great family. And he wants to be the world heavyweight wrestling champion. And so he becomes the world heavyweight wrestling champion. The comedian gets his autograph, what he's signing to agreement to be the vice presidential candidate. And then there's a big scandal with the Democrats and a big scandal with the Republicans. We're all shocked with that. Right. Of course. And uh, <laughs> then um, uh, the comedian wins the presidency and he lives such a hard life smoking and drinking uh, when he's making his acceptance speech. He has a heart attack hmm. and it and it thrusts the world heavyweight champion to being the president. And then he puts all of his wrestling buddies in his cabinet and he turns Washington upside down. It's a political comedy and it is it's hilarious. Uh and it it is finished and it will be coming out Thanksgiving week. As a matter of fact, Good Friday it's gonna come out. It's called Mr. President, and uh I think people are really gonna enjoy it. Sounds good. That's uh, uh, quite timely. I mean, we might could use some wrestlers in Washington, uh, D.C., but that's a whole nother story. We won't we won't get too far yeah, off into that. Yeah, we won't get into that. <laughs> right, right. Well, well, Dr. Whaley, uh, it's been a pleasure to speak with you today. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about The Max Saint, uh, yeah. the book and the movie and your other projects you're working on. Um, continued success to you and your family. And again, I want to thank you so much for coming on The Edric Show today. You got one second. Absolutely. You sure? I don't want yes, to. Yes, go okay. for it. Hey, listen, you've got a great audience that loves you, loves what you do. And I'm sure some of those folks that are listening, you know, are having some rough things in life. Sure. And so I, I just want to say that, you know, the message of the mass saint is this, that that we have a God of a second chance. Hmm. And, and that's what I got in my life. I can't tell you how many second chances that I've gotten. And so I just want to say this to, you know, to your audience. There's people out there thinking that that's all there is in life and this is it. Uh, I just want to encourage you not to have those thoughts, uh, to never give up because we have a wonderful God. And you let him do what he did to um, the potter, you know, in, in Jeremiah 18. The potter, when he got through with a piece of clay, it was it was flawed in the hands of the potter. And he, he took that same piece of clay and he squished it back together and he put it back on the wheel and he made it into a new vessel. And then he said, cannot I do the same with you? Hmm. Or as the potter has done with the clay, so are you in my hand. So give your life to him. Let him put you back on the wheel, make you into a new vessel. Never, ever give up. And uh, I just want to see everybody in your audience succeed and, and, and do great in life. And hey, man. I love you and I'm so proud of you and all Thank you do. You. And, Thank you. And uh, if you're not subscribed to his show, you need to hit that subscribe button. Thank and you. you need to, <laughs> and you need to call 10 other people and say, why are you not listening to the Edric show? And you need to get them to subscribe to the Edric show. I appreciate that. We will definitely right. put that out there. And, uh, right. you know, of course, like I say, this is the place for intelligent conversation with interesting people. Dr. Chris Whaley, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This has been another edition of The Edric Show. I am your host, Edric Jerome. As Dr. Whaley said, hit that subscribe button. Uh, go ahead and leave a comment uh, as I try to bring you this great content each and every week. I want to thank you for tuning in and I will catch you on the next episode.